and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Ron Carucci, who is the co-founder of Navalent and a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review, MSNBC, and Forbes. He is also the best-selling author of eight books, including the recent Amazon number one bestseller, Rising to Power. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ron. Matthew, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I'm going to kick us off with a 15-year study you co-led focused on honesty. One of the core findings was about the conditions that people will tell the truth and under what conditions people will focus on their own interests. Can you explain a bit about how you came to these conclusions? Yeah, so uh, our forthcoming book is called To Be Honest, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice and Purpose, um, out, out just out in a few months from now. And we wanted to understand, uh, you know, why is it that we hear these stories about Wells Fargo and Volkswagen and Theranos and these, and of course we cringe, but people didn't, you know, those people didn't show up to work one day and decide, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to just be a cheat or I'm going to do something nefarious, right? So we wanted to understand how do otherwise probably well-intended people suddenly become, go to the dark side. And so we, you know, we had a, um, a database of more than 3,200 interviews with leaders over the last 15 years and studied them using some pretty sophisticated and cool uh, artificial intelligence technology from our friends at IBM Watson to see if we could quantify uh, what the correlations are between certain things organizations do and certain choices employees make about how they participate in the organization. And indeed, we found four that influence whether or not people will be honest. And we define honesty as truth justice and purpose, meaning you say the right thing, you do the right thing, and you say and do the right thing for the right reason. I don't think we have to look around too far in the world to see that because our experience of honesty from leaders of all kinds has dropped tremendously through the floor, what that does in, 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 in a boomerang effect is it raises the bar much higher. In other words, people's ability to trust you and assume you're honest uh, goes, much, goes up a great deal because of our expectation that you're probably gonna be a cheat and a liar. Um, the four conditions were, um, one, be who you say you are. So all of our organizations have statements about themselves. They have missions and values and purposes. Um, we, we all, as individuals, make claims about ourselves, about our own values. And it turns out that people now expect you to live by them. That it's not enough to just put them on a wall or on a pretty poster or on a screensaver. That when your actions and words match, when the things you say about yourself, and the things you say about your organization to your customers and to yourselves, actually match, you're actually three times more likely to have people tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good. But when there's duplicity, meaning you have institutionalized the practice of saying one thing but doing another, now you're three times more likely to have people lie, cheat, and be selfish. The second um, factor was accountability, meaning uh, the way in which we honor and acknowledge contributions, not the way we reward them, but the way we measure them. So if I, as an employee, feel like there's dignity uh, in uh, the way you look at my work, the way you discuss my work, the way you talk about my shortfalls, um, versus I feel insulted or categorized or pigeonholed in the way you compare me to other people. Uh, if I think there's fairness in that process and dignity, um, now you're three and a half times more likely to have people uh, be honest and tell the truth and behave fairly. The third was governance. So if the way decisions get made around here, uh, if the way I get access to information, if the way my voice is invited to the table to offer my ideas or to even offer dissent, 
if if there's transparency in all of that and I trust it, you're four times more likely to have people be honest and tell the truth. But if I think the only way to get information is uh, is the rumor underground or people are people in meetings it's are just uh, participating in orchestrated theater, but it's all a ruse, which many of us you know do experience in organizations. Now you're four times more likely to have people be dishonest and and uh, embellish their work and uh, serve their own interests first. And lastly, border wars. You know, if your relationships across functions, if the seams of the organization are well stitched and there's cohesion and there's a common good to serve with my partners in different departments or different parts of the organization, um, and we see each other as a we versus them who drive us crazy. Now you're six times more likely to have people tell the truth and behave fairly because when we fragment the organization, we fragment the truth. And I think the, the surprising finding in the study, Matthew, was that these are cumulative stats. So if you're good at all these things, if you put effort into uh, embodying all four of these conditions, you're 16 times more likely to have people tell you the truth, even when it's hard to behave fairly uh, toward each other and to serve a greater good. You mentioned there at the end what surprised you about the study. And one thing that has fascinated me about these conversations is we've received a lot of advice for younger leaders, for individuals who maybe don't have a ton of people management responsibilities or leadership responsibilities on the plate early or at the current time, but they aspire to be that in the future. What did you find in your study where you would give as a specific piece of advice for maybe somebody a little bit more junior in their career? who aspires to be a leader or aspires to be a higher power leader as they as they evolve in their career this is especially critical for for those folks because um uh now you're you're being looked at right so you're being evaluated to to assess your potential for leading other people your credibility your trustworthiness your your um the 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 conclusions people draw about you reputationally in terms of your actions and words matching, in terms of how you participate in teams, in terms of how you build relationships with other people, in terms of how you share information, how authentic you are with others, how, how you welcome differences in your, in your work uh, across the, the spectrum of stakeholders that you serve. All of those factors are the, are the foundation wear of honesty. So, you know, more than your technical competence, more than your pedigree or degrees, more than anything else, your character, is what's on is what's on display right now uh, that meant much of the world people making decisions about your career and people making decisions about whether or not they want to follow you uh, are, are, are rooted in whether or not you will be seen as honest so you can start working on these things now making sure that the things you say you value you actually model when you make a mistake you take responsibility for it when you hold yourself accountable um, that you treat yourself and others with dignity and fairness that if you if you enjoy a privilege that others don't, you work to level the playing field and make it right. Um, if you you know with all the stakeholders you work with across borders of your organization, you never treat them like a they. You are reaching out to try and be a better colleague. You are building partnerships across borders. You are seeing the bigger picture and working with purpose. Um, th those are critical elements for the yardstick people are going to hold up to you to decide whether or not you should lead anybody. You've had a very successful career specifically in many instances, but also specifically focused on being an, an author. When you get started on a project like this, what is your process? What do you put in place? Some of these projects take 
multiple years. What is your process to get ready for something like this? You mean like writing a book? Yeah. What What is your routine? Anything specifically that helps you understand what the finished product is going to be along the way? How do you go into that when it when it really is just a blank canvas to start? Well, I think you you have to be, you have to be real clear about what you're trying to accomplish, and wh- and more importantly, why you want to accomplish it. I think if you don't keep the picture of the transform state in mind at all times, you can wander, you can sort of meander through things and sort of waste resources and time. So I think for any important endeavor in life. Um, the first thing is have a clear picture of what you're doing and why you're doing it. The second one is you have to have help. Um, You have to be able to ask for help. You have to be able to ask for feedback. You have to get coaching um, rather than feeling like you have to bootstrap it and do it yourself or feel like you have to prove something to somebody else. I think too often, especially younger leaders, set out to um, achieve something important in their life and forget that they need a village and forget to ask for the right help. Um, they often would turn to their friends uh, in sort of a self-soothing way to say, tell me what I want to hear, you know, comfort me. And that's not a, a terrible thing, but it doesn't provide you with the sometimes the honest and hard truth you need to hear about where you're falling short or where you maybe not ha- don't have the talent you think you do or where you um, your dreams may not be me based in reality. Um, so I think having people to calibrate with, having people to t- give us the honest truth, not to discourage us or dissuade us from doing what we want to do or from having, even from having big dreams, but at least to get honest um, data along the way so that we're not you know, living in some pie in the sky fantasy that may never come true. The world has changed a ton recently and the world of work has potentially changed even more dramatically. What do you think we're underestimating in terms of what might come next in regard to the skills that might be necessary for leaders to thrive in this new normal? Well, I think, you know, with the with remote work becoming a new normal and hybrid workplaces becoming fast in an interesting way, your, your ability to be flexible in how you enter workspaces and, and how you build relationships and your attentiveness to building trust across a screen or credibility across a screen versus in person, because it, it is different. There's a, there is a new, a, a new version of empathy, a new version of rapport building, a new version of how you connect to other people uh, that is emerging. That includes screens and technologies um, that changes how you live in your own home. Right, because now your workplace is your home, which means that the personal lives of our colleagues now become relevant to us because we're in their homes, we're in their living rooms, we're in their kitchens, we're seeing their kids in the background. And so all kinds of boundaries are blurring now in terms of how what what is the workplace, where is the workplace, and where does work take place? And if you're not flexible enough to be able to um, manage all that, if you don't know how to set boundaries in your own life to make sure that you know, you're, you're, you're protecting time to take care of yourself, to take care of your loved ones and to take care of your health. Um, if you're not uh, being more intentional about how you um, get time with other people, you know, because we're working in isolation, which can be a, a huge assault on our mental health. If you're not making time to make connections with others, get out and go for a walk, meet people in until this pandemic is over, socially safe places. Um, the languishing in obscurity, the languishing in isolation can become a real detriment to your health and your career. 
Switching gears a little bit and talking about your career arc and, and maybe how you've changed, you've been a part of all of these studies, done a ton of research. Is there advice that you would give to your younger self, given the work that you've done and how your career has changed along the way? You know, I think rather than giving advice from my younger self, I might want advice from my younger self. Um, I think there's a you know the point in our careers where we're a little bit more free to take risks. We feel a little bit less constrained by the world, by our financial obligations, by our social norms, where we're less concerned about uh, you, you know some of the some of the wrong-minded things that we measure our lives against. Um, I think I would more ask my 20-year-old or 25-year-old self, what would I do differently? What should I do differently now at my age that I missed along the way? Um, I, you know, my mentor, a, a, a dear mentor of mine, who's still a dear mentor of mine, you know, 35 plus years later, having met her, said to me once, um, nothing in life is irrevocable except death. Hmm. Um, and that means you get, you, you get second chances. You can skin your knees. You get do-overs. And so often we don't take them. We, we sit on the sidelines. We wait. We hedge. We wait for someone to give us an invitation. We, we withhold our voice. And we don't try. We don't go after things that are really important to us uh, until some later date. We think, well, I'll do that later in my career when I'm more established or I'll try that. And it's not that people should be foolhardy or um, foolish with how they manage their lives. But I do think that you know, earlier in life, you see the world less through constraint and more through opportunity. And I think as you get older and more established, you know, that constraint versus opportunity lens tends to shift a little bit. And I think we sometimes narrow our playing fields a little too much. Honesty and empathy and trustworthiness were some of the things that came out specifically in this recent work. If you look back at the bulk of the work that you've done, are there other things that you would say are key differentiators that basically any successful leader needs to have or most successful leaders need to have? And then I guess as the follow-up question, are there certain things that you see time and time again trip leaders up? Yeah. Well, the, I think there's, there's sort of two sides of the same coin there. The first one, uh, you know, on the empathy front, part of, part of being empathic means you, you have self-knowledge, that you know who you are sufficiently uh, to know how others experience you. We often confuse intentions with impact. We think I meant well, so that's what people experienced, and we don't get feedback. So the very first thing you have to learn early in your career is how to ask for and act upon feedback. Um, how others are experiencing you uh, it can often fall outside your intentions. And if you don't know that's happening, you're just gonna keep plowing ahead cluelessly about that and everybody else will be talking about it. And so learning to make sure you're always calibrating are, is what I think is happening versus what I'm actually doing the same. Um, I think the leaders that often get tripped up go uncalibrated for years. It's one of the most painful parts of my career when I have to enter an ex a leader or an executive's life and they're you know 42 years old and they haven't had feedback in 10, 12 years, or they haven't had good solid calibration in a long time. And the, the, the distance between what they think is actually happening, or they have some sense that something's off, but, but how badly it's gone off the track, when I talk to all the, their bosses and peers and direct reports, is stunning. And that happens over time. So if you have not figured out a regular way to get people in your life to tell you the truth about you, um, you cannot be true to yourself to a more true about yourself. So we all want to live purpose. 
full lives. We all want to have meaning in our workplace, in our work. We all want to know that what we do matters. Well, that starts, uh, being true to those things starts with getting, making sure people are true to you about you. I definitely don't want to put you on the spot and have you tell me what the next book is going to be. But before we close out today, what are you the most curious about right now, either in this space or completely outside of this space? What are you the most curious about? Uh, well, I mean, it's probably because this next book is on my mind so much, right? As it gets ready to hit the world, I am curious around how will we change the conversation about honesty? Hmm. How can we, um, it's become cliche, but I think, you know, we don't have to look in our, in the private sector in the public sector and the education sector, you know, public trust is in a free fall. Um, leaders are not rating well, uh, in terms of how others see them or know them. And so, uh, you know, w we know there's a desperate hunger for a higher bar on character. Um, how will we get it there? How will we measure it? How, well, how will we go uh, balance grace and truth? You know, the, the notion to accept people's flaws and uh, be more kind and gracious to others in their differences. And at the same time, reestablish some standard that of truth that you know, I think I think we've so painfully confused speaking my truth with speaking the truth. And I think we've got to get back to the place where, you know, having a ranting opinion on social media is not speaking the truth. Uh, and get to a place where there, there is a, a, a some more common standard of here's what integrity means. Here's what justice means. Here's what purpose means. Um, rather than purpose washing, you know, everything we do or uh, trying to create the appearance of trustworthiness rather than actually being trustworthy. Well, speaking the truth is a wonderful spot to close us out and shift to the final two rapid fire questions that I have the chance to ask all of our guests. And the first question is this, if you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that word be? Uh, um, I would say direct. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Uh, well, let's repeat from what I said before. Nothing in life is irrevocable except death. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ron. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? You can come and visit us at the website, uh, Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. We've got some great books, uh, uh, videos, white papers, great blog posts, lots of rich resources for leaders there who are aspiring to lead better. Um, you can, uh, the, our new book has a website to be honest.net. Um, you can find videos there and uh, previews about when the book's coming out. Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Ron Carucci and, uh, we'd love to keep chatting. Well, thank you for all the great insight. Thanks to all our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization at ability.com. Be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead Podcast. Podcast.